Not that it ever matters. In honor of Fantastic Four, what movie were you sure was going to be horrible that you ended up liking once you saw it? I'm Katie Rich, and I made so much fun of the first Thor, and I still like it more than, you know, most Marvel movies. I, I'm Dave Gonzalez, and I was prepared not to like How to Train Your Dragon like a lot of DreamWorks animation, but I saw it in IMAX 3D and came close to crying, so congratulations, DreamWorks. I'm Matt Patches, and because I pissed so many people off the other day talking about Adam Sandler and his uh, right to be an actor and do his shit, I'm going to pick That's My Boy, his only R-rated movie that made me crack up. And I'm not even an Andy Samberg fan. I laughed. I laughed a lot. And David Ehrlich isn't here, but he submitted Great Gatsby and made sure no one else could take it. So yes, here's he to you, Yes, very David. adamant about that. He loves I a good also champagne. Great Gatsby. Cheers, old sport. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 81 for Wednesday, August 5th. It's still the year of our time, Lord Dr. Emmett Brown. That's 2015. This week, David Ehrlich isn't here, but we still have reviews, and Matt Patches has retained David's magical power of reading reviews. Yes, magic. Emphasis in. on magic. I'm going to read this like Chris Angel. It's going to be a mind freak experience Ooh, for you. No. This is from AP Bryant, 32. I regret Informative. everything about how I set this up. Yes, <laughs> you doomed yourself. Okay, AP Bryant, 32 says it's I bet you can't do it in the Jimmy Stewart voice. Oh, wow. Sure, I can do it in the... Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart, why don't you read this? Well, I would love to. A.P. Bryant, 32, says informative, thought-provoking, and challenging. As a high school student, I once had ample time to listen to podcasts aplenty, but now that I'm working at my local library and am participating and seeking out various film-related programs, I have had to violently slash many of these beloved podcasts out of my life. But fighting in the war room with strength and might has managed to rebel against this slaughter of audio entertainment I've conducted and continue to be one of two podcasts that I listen to regularly. What is that other podcast? We'll never know. It's the strange mix of opinions and hosts that keep me coming back for more. There's David, the, for lack of a better term, snobby one who hates everything that you have ever loved and will do all within his power to destroy if before your very eyes and then ask you to move to New York City. There's Patches, whose tastes I can't discern due to his hatred of Foxcatcher. That's wild. He does not hate Foxcatcher. Where did that come from? And a love of Green Lantern. Well, he certainly does. There's Dave with a seven who enjoys and appreciates the blockbuster franchises that David seems to detest. True that. And Katie, who manages his absurd conglomeration of critics and keeps them from ripping their throats out, all while injecting her own perspective in the name of our Time Lord, Dr. Emmett Brown. Whether you agree with their opinions or not, all of the lovely hosts are objectively smart and well-versed in the world of film. They're sections of film and its meaning have very much influence and challenge how I watch and enjoy movies as well as other storytelling mediums. This podcast, while entertaining, is in many ways a learning experience for me. They teach me, challenge me, and they inspire me. Fighting in the War Room! P.S. It took an entire listening of Jack White's Blunderbuss album for me to crop this review. Please appreciate it. Well, I do, and I'm not even on this podcast. Thanks, Jimmy. That was great. <laughs> Jimmy yeah. is dead and appreciates this podcast. It's incredible. Uh, Thank you for coming back from the grave. 
That was oh, amazing. Great. I'm ex- let's uh let's let's kick off some blunderbuss. Um I I want to note real quick that I keep getting credit in all of these reviews for being the person who holds everything together. But as I tweeted at the beginning of the day we were recording this, Dave of the Seven is the person who holds this podcast together. You are the true birthday. glue, Dave. Hey, happy birthday, Dave! In the year of our Time Lord, Doctor Emmett Brown. Yeah, that's true. You keep I keep getting credit for that too, and that was your innovation. So uh, everyone, uh, I know you appreciate Dave already, but a little extra appreciation because he is secretly what keeps the uh, trains running on time around here. Yeah, and I kept this in the podcast. If you're hearing it, so (laughs) maybe take that credit back. You wield so much power. So uh, this weekend uh, saw the release of Mission Impossible 5, which by all indications, uh, Rogue Rogue Nation, by the way, that's the title that we have on this one. Although I guess we could just go by numbers because it's not as fun as Katie has pointed out as saying go to call for the last one. It's not. So Mission (laughs) Mission Impossible 5 came out, uh, seems to be doing pretty well, uh, keeps the series alive. I enjoy the Mission Impossible movies and I'm sure I will see Mission Impossible 5 because I like large action movies, even large action movies with Tom Cruise in them. But in getting myself to the theater this Saturday, I thought I'd go see an early showing so it wouldn't be that crowded. Uh, I have a good theater where you have like reclining padded seats. Uh, it's like a short public transportation ride away from my house. I was like, catch the first showing, got on the train, got to the theater, and on the way to the theater was thinking about uh, Going Clear, uh, which my girlfriend had been watching previously on HBO, the Scientology documentary, which has some horrible things to say about Tom Cruise's use of uh, basically Scientology slave labor and, you know, his involvement with a shady organization that I'm sure we've discussed uh, on this podcast around when Going Clear came out. Or if not, we should have. We and should maybe have. We'll I don't know. I haven't future. seen it Who though. Knows? So, mm. well, wait. You never saw it's... Going Clear? No. What's wrong with you? I don't know. Been Go watching, clear. Been not watching Detective <laughs> Season Two. Yeah. Be be part of the national conversation, Katie. I'll get Although there. you're you're closer to the the Swift and uh, Minaj feuds than I than I probably am. Overall. That's the other national conversation, <laughs> the Swift and Minaj Yes. It <laughs> has nothing to do with the Iran situation currently on the table. <laughs> no, there's either... No, no, it's Minaj a deadline or yeah. feminism on Twitter. I only pay attention to Donald Trump, so unless he talks about it, I don't know. I, that was the deadline I was talking about, the one that's on top <laughs> of his head. Um, I might be watching those debates and breaking my no Star Wars, uh, no, no politics till Star Wars rule, but... Uh, speaking of no politics, little Star Wars, I definitely brought my own uh, outside the movie theater where I suddenly saw that uh, there was a street festival going on. And I was like, hey, I wasn't feeling super good about uh, contributing to a movie's opening weekend box office because we all know that's like the thing that counts and how you can vote with your dollar. 
uh, for a guy who uh, contributes a lot of his money to Scientology, which is something I don't believe in. And to be fair, this is like different from like other social justice things, like whether or not you believe somebody's a rapist or like whether or not you believe that their art is pushing uh, like horrible worldviews. This is completely he's allowed to do this uh, through, you know, freedom of religion to, uh, you know, give his money to horrible causes and use uh, slave labor made by stupid people who are giving their money to Scientology. Allegedly horrible, we should say. Trust me. It, yeah, no, matter what, no matter what you think, put allegedly in front of it because you don't have to get sued later. Uh, yeah, yes. the Church of Scientology will email you. Uh, they actually true. called me after I wrote about they it. They called you? It, I they only called me. emails. Yes, I wrote about it in conjunction with a bit of... Uh, critical assessment of Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, and they phoned me to tell me that you know I should include their comments, their their response to gl- going clear because right. they're they're Which important you didn't, to right? no, I absolutely I didn't yeah right because that's uh, journalism isn't uh, fair and balanced. <laughs> it's about truth. Good job, Matt Patches. So no, this it's a completely stupid organization that preys on people's fears. Uh, based on low level hypnotism and uh, tomfoolery. And yet, <laughs> tomfoolery. And yet, yeah. People should so, see Rogue Nation. Well, okay, okay, so see, Dave, okay. you I got personally, there yeah, okay. I, I, it's, I don't want to contribute to its opening box office with my dollar. I instead went and uh, went to a bookshop and had a nice breakfast at a Denver street festival. It was amazing. I'm sure once I get access to Mission Impossible through some sort of service that I don't pay for, which is now how I just get access to crazy movies I didn't know existed or... You know, I don't have no control over who buys Paramount's bulk Netflix streaming rights uh, or Hulu or God knows what uh, they want to stream to. Uh, So you're not suggesting piracy. You're suggesting other methods of catching movies later on. For me, it's going to get around to it. And I feel like it's comfortable enough. I'm comfortable enough drawing the line uh, where I'm not going to, you know, uh, allow any of the sites that I work for to become targets because I feel like I need to t- keep other people away from Mission Impossible uh, Rogue Nation but I will defend uh, people for not wanting to see it because they have some bad feelings about Tom Cruise and Scientology like the man does his job uh, probably better than any other movie star currently working uh, I just don't believe with how I think he runs his personal life and like that sounds dirty, but it's like literally the least I can do to uh, stand it's up. It's funny to my because we probably decision. wouldn't have Tom Cruise the movie star without Tom Cruise the insane religious zealot, right? I mean, is that true? Com- I mean, probably he not. Commitment involved in both long. sides. What? I mean, he's been a Scientologist for a long time, but he was a star before he became a Scientologist. Right, but his commitment has only amped up as his profile in the Church of Scientology has done the same. It seems. Mm. From the outside, I mean, his personality is very much about commitment. So you can understand why he's so in deep on something like his religion, and in deep on performing practical stunts, strapping himself to the side right. of an airplane. And I, I don't want to like say that it, you know something's wrong with Tom Cruise. I think he's been like partially victimized, like the story they tell of John Travolta in going clear uh like i don't think he's necessarily maliciously involved he's just found an angle of something that works for him and of course it works for him because he's rich enough to buy his way into it um it's like but like because i don't i don't want to hold his feet to the fire for that because part of what he did to 
Brooke Shields about like uh, psychology, I feel was like really hypocritical in him stepping out of his bounds as a movie star and as a Scientologist. And it's stuff like that that it's like we can't forget that Tom Cruise does that occasionally. So like, yeah, just that, because I guess Tom that's Cruise the, the movie star the comes out. When when do you forget it? Can you forget it? And is it important to forget it, or is there some way to put it aside while you enjoy a movie? I, it's, it's funny hard, that we're talking about me. this because I I am Katie this exact thing like days yeah. leading up to the release of Rogue Nation to be like I just need to know that my opinion is not crazy. Do you? What do you think about this? What do you think about that, Katie? I okay. I in general believe in separating the artist from the art, which is something that you brought up before, Dave. And you, I think I agree with you that it's separate from Tom Cruise because Tom Cruise's money goes to the Church of Scientology in a really precise way. That's a lot of how the Church of Scientology succeeds. They get the money of rich movie stars. Um, but I think I. But you said Tom earlier, Cruise has been paid a lot of money already for this movie. Yeah. yeah, it's a uh, what, what is the Orson Scott card argument with Ender's Game, where it's like go ahead and see Ender's Game because Orson Scott cards already made all the money he's yep. gonna make. That's a, yeah. I feel like that's exactly my argument against this because someone IM'd me. I wrote this piece on Esquire about this exact thing because after I saw the movie, I was kind of I had to run to the mountain. I had to scream about it because I really enjoyed the hell out of it. And someone was like, "Well, I have this moral obligation not to see it." And I told them they were looking for me to to refute that or or to to convince them otherwise. I'm like. I don't know if I can. I don't know if there is an argument against that because you're right. In some level, Tom Cruise is part of something that you are you morally object to. But in the end, this comes down to Paramount Pictures funding Tom Cruise. This is not us. It doesn't matter how mu- much money I think that you throw at this because the rest oh, of the yes, world is not going to. I mean, it, the, you're just... I mean, Mich- after Mission Impossible three underperformed, Sumner Rebstone threw Tom Cruise off the Paramount lot. Like, and he still made another movie. Barely, like many years later, and they were trying to get Jeremy Renner to take it over. The the moral obligation falls on Paramount Pictures. If there is something wrong, and this has happened to Cosby, right? Cosby's work has become so tied into this controversy, it's inseparable. And because his work specifically speaks to, you know, being parental, being well, that, a patriarch yeah, type, that it seems intertwined, whereas... Tom Cruise seems the movie star seems so separate from Tom Cruise the Scientologist, but here it all comes really down to Paramount. Well, they I might not be to... separate, but it, it's like not on us. What I do feel powerless in this way, and I, I can only support the art created by so many other people besides Tom Cruise, who has already been paid. And if there's something horribly wrong, it's up to Paramount to be like, you know what, we're not in business with any. With you, we're not going to put forth this this art that other people have made and this blockbuster entertainment, this escapism that so many people have enjoyed and can enjoy. Cut them off or don't. I mean, I'm of two minds. First of all, this is completely about me and me grasping at some sort of agency in a consumerist culture that spits out movies that I don't want all the goddamn time. (laughs) And two, it's completely separate from Bill Cosby because that's a situation where like, we know something wrong happened. He used his position of power to abuse it. And we're now beyond the place where we could actually have legal recourse. So, so like, the all there is we have. is to tear him down. Although there is like, no legal recourse against Scientology albums. because they're protected by uh, freedom of religion. That's true. But there's also well, uh, much different uh, evidence against Scientology. Yes. Like, there's still, there's still not anybody, you know, 
walking around giving depositions that could be legally right, acted exactly. upon. Yeah, I, all no. there all there is is me saying I'm I would just watch Going Clear. I'm not going to watch Mission Impossible: Rogue Nation while it's in the theaters. And so that's what makes me feel like I have a voice in the situation where I probably don't. But, what you know, other... they didn't get uh, $8 for whatever from me. When else have you been compelled to take a moral stance against something like this? Uh, well, I did, like, the Cosby thing, there was a line where there was enough people uh, talking about it that I, like, got, you know, uh, my comedy albums off the iCloud and, you know, <laughs> deleted them for Whoa. forever. I mean, that's that's all I could do at that point, uh, responsibly, I felt in my... But it's like, it's all these, like, small things that I really have emotional trouble with. Otherwise, it's just very much seems, like, black and white to me when it's, like, a piracy or uh, voting with your dollar situations. But it's, like, it's really hard for stuff like, I don't know, like, Woody Allen and Roman Polanski and whatnot, because I just don't know what's going on and it really doesn't involve well, what do you not know about polanski i mean everything is on the table in pl- with polanski i feel like and we still enjoy his art right and i i do too and it seems weird and it seems like the stories went back and forth and it might have been a judge and it was probably assault and drugs were involved but it's like i didn't live through it nor were i affected by any of the parties so when i watch chinatown i'm like hey that's a awesome movie by a very talented director uh, same with the Woody Allen thing. It all sounds horrible, and maybe he's a horrible person, but I don't necessarily see it in his movies, so it's hard for me to like hold that against him. But it's like all these are very small personal decisions. It's just like I feel that all I have as a consumer is the ability to see or not see things or right. buy things. Well, that's what someone, you know, I posted my article on Facebook, and I got a bunch of comments from people who I'm friends with, and someone just told me, like, totally disagree you know the only way you can fight capitalism is with your dot with your dollar i mean i really have no argument for that or, or yeah. the only way to voice your only only way to intrude with your voices is to vote with your dollar i mean is there's nothing incorrect about that it's it's no. <laughs> totally yeah. valid but what can you do i mean I, I i struggle with it why wouldn't i boycott tom cruise i mean is it am i just resigned to the fact that i'm not going to make an impact and i want to enjoy a great film uh, well, I'm, I'm probably also a hypocrite. Horrible here. I'm probably also a hypocrite. Like, if Tom Cruise was cast as like the Vulture in like the Spider-Man movie, I'd be like, <laughs> "Well, damn it!" Like, do you think I really, not- I really want that to happen? No. Do you think there's any connection to? So I, I went off on Twitter this week about I saw some site write an article about Ronda Rousey, and she two years ago made some comments that were possibly considered transphobic i think it's a very murky situation for her in terms of wondering if trans people should fight in the ring with her you know uh, men who are now women could probably beat the living crap out of her because of just physicality you know and so she has nuanced thoughts or not nuanced thoughts she needs nuanced thoughts and doesn't have them but this psych proclaimed her transphobic and wrote her off and said you know we love we thought we loved you well no more you're done oh boy and i'm just like there has to be some layers here yeah, right there, like, and there's no, a we huge... can't it's not like uh it's not like boycott tom cruise don't boycott tom bo- blah, boycott tom cruise it can't be goodbye ronda rousey or we're on your side ronda rousey it has to be like these things have happened maybe we don't understand the sp- 
specifics and we can acknowledge that they happen but we can also enjoy the art on some level we're not necessarily endorsing tom cruise retweets views are not endorsements uh going to the movies <laughs> well, is not endorsement there's also a huge difference between someone's random comments about a hypothetical like Ron i don't know if there is somewhat, and, and tom cruise like devoting his life to promoting a religious institution that has massively damaging impact and lending his celebrity to making that i mean it has massively bigger. damaging impact to some to some people and yeah, the and it, it institution really in los angeles people, seems to be I, bad I mean, but it also I, probably has helped a lot of people i think the whole culture of uh attacking people and really basing them based on one statement they made that's less informed than you want it to be is really unhelpful but i and i don't think that's what boycotting tom cruise means and i think there also has to be a nuance every time you decide you're gonna do one of these things first of all i think this should be a decision people think about a lot more like when you're buying stuff and second of all each one of those decisions should be uh uh, it's an own unique decision it's like how i flipped on uh, piracy in my you know eight older old age uh, where it used to just be like yeah it's the wild wild west go out there like markets will adapt and whatnot and now i'm like uh it's really each situation i can't blanket uh condone or condemn anything uh i just sort of need to take each situation as a situation which is why it took me a like 20 minute public transportation ride to get to the theater before i and then even then i had to like physically see the restaurant that i wanted to have breakfast before it was like (laughs) you know what i'm not gonna do this Uh, so I, as a moral of the story, choose breakfast <laughs> over a movie you're morally conflicted <gasps> over? No! <laughs> no, the moral of the story is make a louder stink if you really... I mean, voting with your dollar does not get you anywhere. I That's... You know what? I'm putting my wow. foot down. Wow. It, see Rogue Nation, but make a stink. Like, is there a problem hiring Tom Cruise to make a movie? You know, get on petition.org and fucking stir up shit. Voting with your dollar doesn't mean anything because Tom Cruise fails upward. You know, I mean, okay, no, 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 no. There's two things. It blame China. It has to be both. So the like the what you're talking about, the outrage uh, of like the process that needs to happen. But there needs to be a consistent voting of the dollar to make when that outrage reaches a boiling point to make it enactable. Like, well, then someone make the case to boycott Tom Cruise, I guess. Like, even going clear does not make a case against Tom Cruise. It makes a case against a church attempting to keep him inside of it, having kind of hypnotized him and to control his family and friends to make sure that he stays put. This Nothing in going clear really condemns Tom Cruise for his behavior. So what someone needs to do is go and stir up the shit and point at Tom Cruise and say, this is something you've done, and then I'll believe it. Well, see, the thing is that it's not going to happen with Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, you know, so being good. number one at the box office. <laughs> it's going to happen when a crappy Tom Cruise movie comes along. But when it does, there needs to be a line of dropping consumer interest behind whatever the outrage of the moment is in order for it to actually have effect. So it's both. You're not, like, going to vote with your dollar and, you know, by not buying a Chris Brown CD, he's never going to beat a woman again. But, like, eventually when there's, a, like, you know... Chris Brown beats another woman and they put him in jail. Like maybe he can't afford like that fancy lawyer this time because you've spoken with your dollar for a long period of time. It's it has to be both. But like the important thing is that you should be thinking about it and uh, you know stand behind the decision you made. I'm gonna I throw th- a Sacagawea dollar at Tom Cruise's head and that'll make up for everything. I think. I you know I'd be I'd be okay with that. It's a foolproof plan. <laughs>
buy tickets. All right. Live in New so, York, uh, racing in the world. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> well, we're telling people to live in New York. I'm channeling Dana's not even here. Uh, this week, uh, the gift Joel Edgerton's directorial debut uh, comes out. It is a thriller starring him and Jason Bateman and a woman. Oh, wow, Rebecca Hall. Rebecca Hall. It's Rebecca Hall. We like her. We really like her, even though she's kind of boring. I'm just sexist by accident by forgetting one name. Transcendence is not her fault. <laughs> well, uh, anyway, um, uh, the, it's uh, uh, sort of that creepy friend guy, like a like a scary cable guy. Is how I guess Sing- I would, uh, single white male. Yeah, um, which I was asking my podcast host if anybody's seen because it's been getting some interesting buzz for being more interesting uh, than I guess everybody was expecting, considering Joel Edgerton's performances. And things like uh, Ridley Scott's Exodus and The Thing remake. You know, not I substantive things. I liked him in The things. Thing remake. Wait, Joel, hang on. Let's not knock Joel Edgerton. Joel Edgerton I, is... Well, I, w- I to... would knock him pretty hard. I think he's really? kind of a bland actor who doesn't bring a lot. Speaking of Great Gatsby, I'm like, I could have seen a zillion people in that role who I would have uh, preferred no, over Joel No, liked him in Great Gatsby. bringing a lot to the table. All right, hang on. I'm looking at more Joel Edgerton roles. Keep talking. Okay, well, either way, for some reason, this is this movie apparently was better than everybody expected. Uh, we can't uh, tell you that for sure because none of us have seen it. <laughs> it's true. But, We've uh, seen a lot of chatter, but we would only be... It's all hearsay. Yeah, so I We're mean, failures. I guess I have to check it out now uh, because I, I, I had seen a sort of... Uh, <laughs> your buddy that's a little too close to you movie recently on Netflix, the uh, Mark Duplass uh, movie... He stars in it. I don't think he also directed it. No, the other guy who's in the movie opposite him, Patrick Bryce, directed it, who also directed The Overnight this year. Yes, it's a found footage horror movie called Creep about a man who is hired off the Internet to make a video for another man who is dying of a brain tumor and is about to have an unborn son. Yes, as, Uh, as Mark Duplass says, it is just like Michael Keaton's My Life. He says it in the movie, and he's really? absolutely right. Yeah, it's exactly. Yes. I mean, that's he's making a video for his when he dies for his kid. Yeah, and uh, the instantly things are sort of weird, but you know, it could be weird because it's melancholy because he's dying and about to have a kid, or it could be weird because he's the titular creep. Uh, but things sort of sort of spiral out of control as the movie goes on, and it reveals itself to be this thriller. Uh, not a sort of, well, no, it never pretends to be anything but a thriller. It commits to being the thriller that it is with a series of twists, which I guess the gift is also doing. Uh, Patches has also seen Creep. Yeah. Which he. Both of these movies are super spoilery, so I think the gift. Well, I, I think would, we uh, talked around. Uh, yeah, the gift and Creep, I think, both depend, just to put both of them into perspective for people, I think it depends. You're, you're, uh, how you'll enjoy them might be dependent on how far the 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 how far you allow a movie to go in a direction maybe it shouldn't go or how daring it's allowed to be how far-fetched it can be with reality um and and creep which we've both seen uh does this to extremes but not in the way that you think I, i feel like maybe i'm teetering on the edge of spoilers here but not at all because creep was totally it's unexpected i didn't love this movie but um I, I liked how inventive it was. I liked that it's a twofer. 
It's just Mark Duplass and Patrick Bryce the whole time, which The Gift, even though they're actually both of these movies were produced by uh, Blumhouse, uh, to give you perspective there in terms of the scope. But well, they're producing all sorts of creep is, horror. Yeah, Creep like is very well. much a uh, a low micro budget movie, really true found footage, which only gets mildly annoying later in the film. Why are they holding cameras? They pretty much explain it, but um, <laughs> but Creep pre- Creep really goes off the deep end. It's a good performance by Mark Duplass. Being, yeah, being I mean, uh, I had more fun watching Creep than I did thinking about Creep after it was over. Uh, which I'm hoping. The gift could I could have fun watching it and have fun thinking about it after it's over. There's another mo- a trailer. A trailer just came out this week for uh, Goodnight Mommy. It's a horror movie oh, yeah. about a woman who has plastic surgery and her twin boys. I actually saw that at uh, the Stanley Film Festival, and that's another one where um, I had just fun. I had a lot of fun watching it and a lot of fun afterwards but do you feel like thought i was ahead of it both creep and goodnight mommy and i think gift too based on everything i know about it which i uh allowed myself to be spoiled um you know they're they're asking a lot of the audience in terms of waiting for the moments where they show the cards they play the cards and they are can be a lot to ask and i think creep i definitely tested my patience in terms of just like can you just tell me what this movie's about Already, yeah. Um, well, that's why I want to see the gift uh, in theaters if I can, because I think that experience is much better for this sort of movie, uh, this sort of like tense thriller twist-based movie. Uh, because even if you think you see the uh, you know twist coming, you're forced to, or you're more likely to stay through it than like sometimes right. with creep. I really got the feeling that I was watching Netflix, and I was like, I could be yes. doing something else yes. right now. <laughs> that's exact, no, that's exactly the feeling I had watching Creep. And I will admit that halfway through the movie, I fast-forwarded for a minute when Patrick Bryce was just sitting on his couch doing nothing. And I was just like, I don't need to be watching this. Get to the part where things are happening. And I, I jumped ahead. I was on Netflix. This is probably egregious, but like, these are mumblecore films at their heart. And I guess that's a pejorative now, but... Uh, I don't I need to see this man sit on his while. couch and worry. Yeah, I know. But um, I, I guess what I thought during Creep was, man, I wish I was watching this movie with more people. Like, I don't know if our listeners out there have movie nights or mo- moments when they're not watching, they're not at the theater with people, but they're not just home, like, couching it up and watching Netflix. Like, invite people over to your house and watch Creep. That's the way to do it. And The is Gift is probably it? the same way. Is Creep good enough to to merit that? Yeah, because Creep's it's... 77 minutes, so it's not going to destroy your night. Yeah. Oh, man, you I can said... double feature it with, like, anything. Yeah. <laughs> even, if it's, even if it's bad, you'll spend just as much time getting yelled at by your friends as you do watching Creep. So I guess it's Wait, your like, friends so... yell at you for 77 minutes? Uh, for bad movies? Wow. Uh, last, the About last movie I watched really. with a group of friends was we all watched uh, the M. Night Shyamalan, Avatar, The Last Airbender, and wow. we all knew it was bad because we'd seen it going in, and we still talked for I hope, like another hour and a half I hope afterwards. you listened to the commentary for Last Airbender provided by Republic City Dispatch, the greatest podcast of all time outside of Fighting in the World. Wow, that's yeah, I, I usually I usually listen and touch myself at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> well, creep. Creep and the gift. Two thrillers. Tell us if you which... saw the gift. Tell us if the s- spoilers we heard were accurate. It's crazy. <laughs> Think piece worthy. But don't do it in the comments on our website because that's mean. Yeah, don't do that. Fighting in the <laughs>
this weekend, Wet Hot American Summer prequel hit on Netflix. It is eight episodes. That is a sequel 15 years later from the movie Wet Hot American Summer, which is a spoof film from Michael Showalter and David Wayne and a whole bunch of comedians that were making their first movie at the time, like Amy Poehler and Elizabeth Banks and famous comedian Bradley Cooper. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> Um, uh, but this uh, prequel series takes place on the first day of camp. The movie took place on the last day of camp. And then also Netflix released a making of documentary of the original Wet Hot American what? Summer. Like a feature yeah. length? Yeah, that was shot on video. This was announced when uh, Netflix announced they were making the series. Uh, they were like, eight episodes and a making of documentary. Whoa. I was like, well, that's crappy. Like, who wants to see a making of documentary of a Netflix series? But it turns out, because of the era this was made in, they had a friend that just filmed 25 hours of behind-the-scenes footage of the first White Hot American Summer. Wow. Which was a horrendous production, because it, I think it, it rained, rained like 25 out of 28 days. Yeah. Yeah, and it was supposed to all take place on a sunny day. So you got some really great footage of, like, drunk uh, Paul Rudd and Amy Poehler, like, trying on wigs and dancing with Marino and everybody. Wow. Um, and talking about how they needed to, you know, stay together where do you, and drink where a lot of beer. Is that, so that's on Netflix. Is that yep. under under First Day at Camp, the Wet Hot prequel? Is that No, it's its own it? thing. So the, the three, like, Netflix homepages is the eight episodes of uh, First Day of Camp. This one's called uh, Wet Hot uh, Fun Hurricane. And it's <laughs> its own thing. Yeah, uh, I think it's under documentaries. And then there's, of course, the Wet Hot American Summer, which uh, the full thing's also on Netflix. Wow. So this whole like package is, I think, the best uh, revival we've seen um, is, uh, of a of a property that I've been like actually loved. Like Arrested Development was fine and uh, Full House is going to be a shit show. I don't want to give Arrested Development the credit of fine. Arrested Development was sad. Really? I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, well, we can talk about that after Dave finishes his intro. I don't know. I mean, I guess we could get there, but it's like uh, everything sort of felt like, uh, I don't know, maybe a stunt to like get everybody back together. But all this wet hot content hitting at the same time and the way Michael Showalter and David Wayne decided to plot out this prequel series really makes the whole thing work as like this really successful package that makes me want to sit down and spend eight hours on Netflix, which is its purpose. Not eight hours, eight half hours. Uh okay, so four hours for the series, two hours for the movie, oh. two Movies hours for the tight documentary. 90. Okay, so made seven seven hours. <laughs> okay, sorry fair. for misestimating. I, I forgot. <laughs> I didn't know you were including the original in there. Yeah, this this show is amazing. Like it's first off just an accomplishment based on how many kind of so so revivals we've seen and just like the general moment we're having with all these revivals you know when full house two gets announced you don't give a shit and it just fuller reduces. house please fuller house i'm sorry fuller house fuller it's house. like if anything could chip away at my excitement for a uh, twin peaks revival it would be fuller house uh, yeah just like this deluge of 90s stuff uh and of course true i mean what wet hot was 2001 i believe maligned by critics should be noted uh Turned into a cult classic, and really, I just didn't. I think it was Sundance you know, Sundance two thousand. Two thousand, yeah. Who knows? I think so, yeah. It might have been Sundance. I don't. Who well, knows? because yeah, you know, I think it was Sundance two thousand because there's the line about fifteen years specifically. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. But what's interesting comparing it to Arrested Development is that 
that whole narrative around reviving that show was about these guys are so busy, but we're going to make it happen. And we've written these scripts that allow them not to really be in scenes together. You know, we can shoot whenever anyone is available. And Wet Hot wound up having the same narrative. You know, I, I talked to Michael Showalter earlier this year about the movie he made, but also about Wet Hot and just like talking about writing this and trying to get everybody and get the time to, you know, Bradley Cooper fucking made the biggest movie of 2014, as we just discussed off podcast, uh, American Sniper, $350 million. This man has a million things to do. Uh, but he made time for Wet Hot, probably not a lot of time. I heard he worked like maybe two days on the show, three days. Yeah, you could really tell the moment where they lost Bradley Cooper. For I, the rest well, of okay, the there's narrative. a really funny joke about losing Bradley Cooper in the yes. show because he plays DJ. Uh, Ski mask. Ski mask. And, For no reason. And then, and then he later appears with a ski mask on, which is not him, but it is Well, it's him. great because they, awesome. they, they keep having cutaways of just a close-up on DJ's ski mask, and he lifts his mask, and it's a smiling Bradley Cooper, and then he puts it down again, and they like, this, cut wide. This so only happens it. in like one scene of the show, though, and that's what's amazing. It doesn't ever, you know, Arrested Development suffered from this cutting back and forth, and they're clearly not in the same place, and they're disguising it so heavily. I never felt that way during Wet Hot. This was so cohesive and well plotted and it I mean the movie the movie already feels like you're going in one scene with these two people and then you're going to go over here and look at this part of camp and this thread and this thread. It totally makes sense as a television show and there's so many stories to tell. You know, when you watch this show you're like we didn't get enough time with these people the first time. We're so lucky to be able to follow all these crazy 80s camp plots. You know, the sewage dumping in the background and Janine Garofalo. That's probably one of my favorite plot lines of this new series. Janine Garofalo and Jason Schwartzman are fighting, you know, this conglomerate who's dumping toxic waste in the camp. It just feels so 80s. Meanwhile, all these other crazy plots are happening and they can feel independent, but it also feels... David, the way David Wayne directs the whole thing, it feels cohesive. It feels like they're all in one place at the exact same time. And I think having it all happen over 24 hours really helps, too. Well, and I also think that like the experience of having to make the first movie work, despite never having the ideal shooting conditions, really also contributed to the look of that film. That they then, like, what I like the most about First Day of Camp is it's like, they're like, what are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? And let's execute just our strengths. And they do. And so they sidestep things that are like problems with other prequels or sequels where it's like they instead of or like my whole problem with Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me is it's just all the jokes from Austin Powers just again, like a little different. That like first day of camp doesn't have that problem at all. Right. I saw a bunch of articles went up that are like, here are all the references to the original movie. And I'm like. I don't want to read this, number one, because I don't want to see them necessarily. And number two, how can there be that many? Because there are so many original jokes. Yeah, or the, like the little redheaded kid, uh, Drew, uh, the actor's name is Thomas Barbuska. Is this like this kid who's not in the original movie and he's the villain of this whole other kid's side plot that is just as funny as anything else that's like referencing the movie that you like or how old these people are playing teenagers? It's just that on several different uh, levels, they they figured out what made what Hot American Summer like good as a property, and figured out how to execute that over four hours, which was pretty sweet. What do you what do you think and, most? I mean, I feel like every time a prequel comes out, people are like 
prequels never work. They're deconstructing everything we loved about the movie and, and reverse engineering things. And it's all about getting – I mean this is the major complaint about the Star Wars prequels, right? We're just mm-hmm. trying to get to the point where we, over, where we actually liked it and it's all suffering to get there. Um, and Katie, you may be able to weigh in this too. Like what, what do we hate about prequels and, and when did we get them right? Like, and, and Dave, you can speak to this show. I mean it gets it so right and maybe it's just because it's divorced from the original in a significant way. But it's actually not because, you know, Paul Rudd, his character in the beginning of the original Wet Hot movie is with this girl Katie, Marguerite Moreau, um, and they're just, you know, making out at every turn. And this this prequel show says, why are they? Like, why would she ever date this moron? That's a whole thread. of it, And it was really fulfilling. It was really fun. Um, that was a lot of questions. Do you have a prequel you like, Katie? Well, I want to make it clear that I love What Had American Summer and just haven't managed to watch the pre- this series yet. I hate myself, too. Um, I'll get there. I, I don't want to be known as a What Had American Summer hater because I really like the original movie. Anyway. But, you know, Twitter feminism, like I said before. Wait, is feminism, on is feminism mad about this? No, no, no. I'm just saying you know uh, you know about other things. Oh, yeah. Like prequels, hopefully? I, I mean, uh, you put me on the spot to try to think of a prequel that I like, and my mind is, like, emptied of prequels. Like, I'm trying to yeah. think of... I, I don't know. I'm like, having the what same is, problem. <laughs> what is a prequel? Well, Let me stall I mean, by looking up... Let's see. 302 prequels. is a prequel. Never saw I it. I guess the sa- I have the same thing <laughs> I have with... Oh, okay. Like, how uh, about part oh. of Godfather 2? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's good. But- that is, is it good? good? Oh, I mean, I think there's a case for me that it's not good, but... No, but... Oh, oh, okay, all right. So the great... The thing about Godfather 2 that makes it work is it is a completely independent story, but about a character who is very memorable. So you've got this character who you know a lot of things about, and you're watching the way they origin... The way he originates. That's not a word. Uh, you know, you watch his origins, and you have a story on its own that is entertaining to watch. I think that's a huge part of a lot of the prequels that happens that it depends so much on your knowledge of the original that the story you're actually watching isn't worth the time that you're spending on it. Like, say, Prometheus. Which uh, is not a good prequel. Yes, but the, uh, the things I like about Prometheus are the things that aren't a prequel about Prometheus. Which is, like, the bad thing about prequels, I think, are the bad thing that I also see in, like, comic book or novel adaptations where it's like just including something because, you know, it's like that's from that is not like a valid reason to include it. Which, and I think a lot of things do. Which is funny because Wet Hot is a world that includes so many weird jokes. Like there's a kid who dresses like Mork from Mork and Mindy just because he's dre- dressing like a kid from Mork and Mindy. So the fact that it's not falling into that trap is really uh, encouraging. That's true. Well, but like the first movie also committed to doing a whole bunch of like '80s references that like a lot of kids will just never get because like you know, right? Some people lived through Skylab and some people <laughs> didn't live through Skylab. I can- definitely did not live through Skylab. Didn't get that joke. Still liked it. You lived through Skylab. I, okay, maybe I did. No, I did not remember Skylab. You weren't really conscious enough. For um, also, uh, X Men First Class. like that movie. Ugh. Wow. Well, I know. That's- oh yeah. That would- that was fun, but it also did some of the stuff that I'm talking about, which is like all about referencing. referencing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, it's I, I could lose my it. hair. <laughs> Wait, Jimmy Stewart, what are you doing here? Get out of here. <laughs> um, go, go away. Well, You've already had your. <laughs> Dave, can I can I can I speak freely about Wet Hot? Can I make a reference to a specific thing that happens in the series? I'm fair. Like, it, it's fine. Hey, listeners, it's a comedy series, but if you care about spoilers, yeah. 
Okay. Uh, skip ahead. But this is this is a pretty big moment. So I like that you didn't jo- ask me who hasn't watched it. You just assume. Well, that's because I wanted to test the spoiler waters with Dave, who has seen it, to see if okay. I'm like. I feel like Dave knows what I'm talking about. There's a huge moment with John Benjamin. John Benjamin plays the head of the camp in this sequel. Yes. And if you've seen the first movie, you know the role John Benjamin plays in the first movie. Yes. John Benjamin plays a talking can in (laughs) the original movie. Now, John Benjamin here, you wonder, oh, well, he is just playing a new character because they want to get John Benjamin in. Well, he falls in toxic waste and becomes a talking can. (laughs) Now, yes, talking can of vegetables. Now... This took me off guard, you know? I'm like, is this drawing a line, you know, connecting this prequel to the sequel or to the original film? Like, do I care for this? Do I want this? Do I want an explanation of what the the talking can of vegetables is? I have not watched the original movie since watching the series, but am I going to think about John Benjamin being a real person? Now, I mean, the funny thing about it is that, um, oh my God, who plays the cook? Uh, Christopher, Maloney. Uh, Chris Maloney. Christopher Maloney is a crazy Vietnam vet who's just talking to a can in the original. Now I know that he's talking to the original. Uh, well, actually, two guy. other people talked to the can uh, in the original. In the I original thought. movie? Yeah. Who does? 80 Miles. Uh, yeah, the cooking assistant. Yep. And then Janine Garofalo smiles directly at it. Oh, shit. Okay, so that actually makes sense because Janine Garofalo <laughs> is stooping at John. Benjamin, when uh, <laughs> when before he falls into the actually they make out after he falls into the toxic waste and she wait she makes out with him as a can of vegetables yes she does uh, <laughs> it is watch quite this. wonderful um, but it all adds up you know this is so there's there's something to be said about connecting the dots with prequels right we it well, is see, fulfilling is it's wet hot American summer too where like in the first movie people go through you know entire story arcs in one day and it's sort of funny how quickly they flit to one thing to another so i would have completely believed that like no one remembered he was the can because that's how fast this camp moves from day to day <laughs> like it wouldn't have bothered me so much uh but yeah i mean when it when you realize it's going there uh, I mean, there's still some things that don't make sense, like Christopher Maloney's character, like doesn't seem to know uh, the can, and you think he would reference that it was once a character, and the can says in the movie that he's never told anyone he could suck his own dick, which he he tells people uh, in this one as well. So it's like it's not 100% continuity together. But well, there's the barely continuity within the show itself. There's a fight scene between. Uh, John Hamm and Christopher Maloney that if you like watch it carefully they're just they're picking up objects and then all of a sudden they've disappeared I, mean, yeah, I think that's part uh, of the joke all of Molly Shannon's uh, characters uh, dating history that we learn about in the first movie we actually get right. to see all of it in this series <laughs> like it's accelerated to that point so it makes it it makes it hilarious but it also makes it to the point where it's like by the time he falls in the the sludge and turns into the can, you're like, oh, maybe I should care, you know, about where Ron is. But uh, so why does that work, and why doesn't the Star Wars prequels work? I'm using the, the uh, worst case ultimately, scenario. But. Ultimately, this doesn't matter. Like, if I laugh, it's uh, <gasps> that's, that's what it's going for. Come on, that's not the... I mean, this does matter. They're characters we care about, whether they're absurd. I mean, Paul Rudd is the weirdest character in the original movie, he's just flopping around, he's grunting, he's a total asshole. You still right. care about him a little bit. You could see well, how I, that characterization um, could be tainted I guess the, by just playing the, up those my jokes again or forcing, 
him to go down that path in some way. It could be, it feels like it could be sloppy and this, and first day of summer feels very fragile in that way, especially in the first episode when everyone's gathering for the first time, you're just like, where is this going to go horribly, horribly wrong? Um, but they never misstep. There's really no setup, I guess. We just meet the characters already. They assume we know them as opposed to trying to introduce them, which works to its benefit, too. So maybe that's the key. And I guess I this guess. is the rules of comedy, mm-hmm. right? Improv is about referring to your own jokes. It's about callbacks, and you can make callbacks to the future in this case. Callbacks to the future. <laughs> Dr. Evan <laughs> Brown. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but it's like this is the... It, uh, the original, uh, like the the format, the story takes is these arc story arcs that you recognize, you know, just done in a in a in a jokey way. So Wet Hot knows that uh, it. First of all, mm. none of the characters uh, are different, but they are going through new storylines that are like vague echoes of the first, and not like weird references, but like the because the characters don't really change until the end of the movie, they don't change over the entire miniseries. And that doesn't bother you because they're doing these recognizable story arcs. Like, But they have guys, arcs. They do change. Oh, yeah. like Well, it's like two guys make a bet about who's going to lose their virginity, and you know that one can't because you've seen the movie, but you're pretty sure how the other one would go because you know how a camp movie goes. And that neither of those things are going to destroy your enjoyment of the series you're watching or the movie it's based on. It's like a it's a fidelity to the characters thing. Like if we're not going to say that it's a comedy, it doesn't matter. Then the Star Wars prequels were bad because they showed me that Darth Vader was a whiny little kid for all of his existence until he became Darth Vader. Whereas this one, uh, it's the characters I recognize from What Hot American right. Summer. I just get to spend more time with them. You know, we talked previously on this podcast about watching BoJack Horseman, which I finally finished the second season of. And that <laughs> BoJack Horseman, because it's in L.A. and it hates everything, shits unmercifully on improv theater. And... It's it's disappointing because I think there is a lot to gain, and maybe I'm a Scientologist slash improv improviser at heart, but <laughs> I think what Wet Hot First Day of Summer gets so right is yes, ending to cite the old improv rule, the characters and how to paint their 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 roots and and what brought them to that first movie. There's a great sequence in maybe the fourth or fifth episode where we get to see, um, oh my god, David Hyde Pierce as oh, yeah. the the astrophysicist. And he's not really in the series. He can't be because he's kind of a foreign entity that meets all the campers in the movie. So he has no place in the series. But they throw us a bone and do a huge cold open about how he got to where he is at the camp to, to eventually meet Janine Graffalo. And it's so perfect. It's just so well orchestrated. It's just taking to the extreme how he could have ended. <laughs> it just takes all those ideas one-off jokes from the movie because they only had 80 minutes to you know they're, they're really one-liners and now they're going to extrapolate them in the funniest way possible they're not going to they're not going to try and make it realistic they're going to be faithful to characters and they're going to treat them like real people but the conditions can still be extreme and very funny and i think that's the key too like star wars takes itself too seriously it doesn't understand what's 
enjoyable about its own characters. And I defend Phantom Menace, you know, I have on this podcast. Um, but this Wet Hot understands what's so lovely about all these people that it has. And also what's easy to exploit uh, in terms of how funny they are. I think Michael Showalter's character who uh, – Coop – who is actually dating Lake Bell at the beginning of this series. Yeah. It's very funny to see him. He has a whole new arc, um, but it obviously leads to his his disparity in the in the original movie, and he gets to blow on Israeli horns, and oh, it's wonderful. But and make fun we, of the fact that he, by far, is the only person who's recognizably 15 years older. Yes, it's true. Yeah, it's I true. What, I, yeah, yeah, I love that they play into that. I don't I know. A, this gets it so right. I have a question for you both that I think can end this. Yeah. Does it make you want a Wanderlust TV series? I want it. I actually said this. Um, I got it was really weird. I made this joke on Twitter that Joyce Carol Oates retweeted. So I, <laughs> that's how wow. I know it's, it's a good idea. But Humble. Joyce Carol Oates agreed that Michael Showalter and David Wayne should take over True Detective. Oh, I agreed with you on that, too. And that's what I think that, like, I just, I do really think another television show is in order. Maybe it's not Wet Hot. Wet Hot, First Day of Summer, kind of ends in a way that theoretically it could continue. But I oh, think it's more is. playing into 80s jokes, 80 movies jokes right. than anything. But um, I could, I really want them to do a spoof television show of anything. And after True Detective, which I think we'll talk about after the premiere next week, uh, or yeah, after the finale, uh, it feels like the premiere. Don't get me it'll excited. Be the first, it'll be the first episode <laughs> where I really understand what's going on. But uh, I could really see them doing a spoof show of pretty much anything. It would be really funny. Uh, Wanderlust is the right kind of comedy. I wish it could be R-rated and that bold. I mean, I guess Wet Hot could. It doesn't really fit the mold like Wanderlust, which is so weird. But um, they could go that direction with pretty much any type of genre, and I think it would be spectacular. Or they can make a uh, TV version of the uh, Beltway thriller books that Joe LaTruglio's character in Wanderlust is writing. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'd rather do oh something God. like that. What a callback. <laughs> no, no more Wet Hot American Summer. This closes out like a great little body of netflix work and everybody's great in it and nobody's bad in it and let's let's leave leave something more arrest development yeah get ready for uh, eight seasons of fuller house oh well at least there won't be a seventh (laughs) season of community right so Uh, you think the movie will happen the movie will happen (laughs) well yeah I'm, i'm trying to think if there's anything that i'd want revived now wet hot pretty much nailed it and i'm just like no one should try that does it for today's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back at some point with a review of Fantastic Four if the stars align and Matt Patches and Dave can uh, make their schedules work. So uh, you'll hear our if thoughts I can on that. Stretch like Mr. Fantastic. Yeah. I've been stuck in the negative zone. Or am I stretching or am I, am I warping myself through gravity to somehow appear to be stretching oh man i will i will give you five dollars if the movie's that complex i don't get any of these jokes because i haven't seen the new movie nor do i plan to so we haven't either we'll figure that out uh in the meantime tell the people who you are i am matt patches i'm the senior writer for esquire.com and i'm on twitter at mr patches and we have a website fighting you can comment you can share you can uh, leave audio file links to your jimmy stewart impression i think uh, fighting in the worm.com <laughs> I think we allow links, but if not, you could definitely post it up on Facebook, where we also are at facebook.com slash fighting in the war room. The smooth voice you're hearing is DA7E. That's where I am on Twitter, where you could see links to my other writing at Forbes.com, Geek.com, and Latino-Review.com. 
If you want more of this sweet, sweet 31-year-old voice, go to fightinginthewarroom.com, where I do some other podcasts about comics and Game of Thrones. You guys are so old. Shut up. Uh, (laughs) I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at VanityFair.com or on Twitter at Katie Rich. And also you can find all of us on Twitter at FITWR, which is a place to wish Dave happy birthday and also answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of Fantastic Four, what movie were you sure was going to be horrible that you ended up liking once you saw it? Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you at some point. 